Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. The gospel is simple, but there are some people that, that want to make it very complicated. And that's where we're going to meet today. If you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23, and we're going to see some people who like to make things very complicated, and they're called religious people. Because religious people, they, they come up with rules and lists and regulations that they want to enforce and impose on other people so you can be holy just like they are. And what we're going to see is that the religious people, they take something simple like a Sabbath. Okay, a Sabbath is a day off. Okay, it's a day of rest. It's a vacation. It's a holy day. It's a holiday. It's something that is very simple. And then religious people with their lists and their rules and their regulations, they take something simple like a Sabbath and they turn it into a lot of work. And it's really interesting to me that, that, that Mark, he connects these two themes together of, of religion and Sabbath because they are diametrically opposed to one another. Okay, see, religion is all about your work. That it's what you do. It, it's, it's what you do to be able to earn your favor and your holiness and your righteousness and your right standing before God. They say, here's the rules. Here's the things that you need to do. Right? Do this. Don't do that. Right? Follow this. Don't follow that. And if you don't do it our way, well, then God's not going to love you. It's about what you do. It's about your works. The Sabbath, on the other hand, well, the Sabbath is all about rest. And what we're going to see is how religious people obsessed with work can take what is supposed to be a day off and they can turn it into a lot of work. And here's what we need to know, that, that the Sabbath is a good thing. Okay, God actually came up with the Sabbath. It was his idea. He was the first person to take a Sabbath. And it comes from Genesis chapter 1 in verse 2 where it says that he worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested. And God said, this was a great idea. I'm glad that I came up with it. I'm pretty smart. And so what I want to do is I want to share this with my people because it's so genius. And so whenever God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, he says, here's the fourth most important thing that you need to know, that you work for six days. Young men, hear that. Six days. Okay, that's a full-time job. That's not a part-time job. Get a job, do something, work for six days, and then on the seventh day, then you can rest. And God said, that's my gift to you, that I love you so much that I want you to be able to go home, take a nap, Right, take a day off, take a minute, take a moment, just get some time to worship and to pray and to read your Bible and spend time with your family, to barbecue with your neighbors. That's my day for you. That's my gift to you. And it was a gift. And then a few years go by and then some religious people come along and they say the Sabbath is important, which it is. And they say, well, we can't just let anyone do whatever they want on their day off. No, we have to come up with some rules. We have to come up with a list of things that you need to do on your day off and then they took somebody's day off and they made it into a lot of work because that's what religion does. That religion takes a good thing and makes it into a bad thing. This would be the equivalent of saying, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. We love you. So we're going to throw you a birthday party. But before you get too excited about it, there's going to be some rules for your birthday party. Okay, first, the party can only be in the hour that you were born on the day that you were born. Okay, so if you're born at 3.05 a.m., well, it sucks to be you because that's when your party is going to be. No sooner, no later, 3.05 on the dot. And we're going to make you a cake, okay? But it's not the cake that you wanted, like chocolate, no, right? Because heathens eat chocolate, we're religious, we're going to give you vanilla and no ice cream, right? Because ice cream's fun and we're not very fun. No sprinkles, 
because sprinkles are like unicorns and unicorns don't exist, neither do sprinkles. And you can have some friends over, okay, but you can only have three friends and they all have to be left-handed and they can buy your present, but it has to be from Walmart, not Target, because Target sells yoga pants and that's of the devil. Okay, happy birthday, we're religious. And you're like, man, this was supposed to be a good day until you showed up and then you ruined it. Because that's what religion does. Religion takes a good thing, turns it into a bad thing, and religion ruins everything. And you're like, man, you come up with all these rules for my day off, now my day off seems to be like a lot of work. I was going to take a nap, but now I'm worried about getting arrested by the nap police and trying to follow your rules because now this all seems like a lot of work. Okay, let me say this. The Sabbath is a good thing. Now, we're going to talk a lot about taking a Sabbath, how to take a Sabbath at the end of the message. But you need to know that the Sabbath is a good thing. It's actually a great thing. The problem here is not with the Sabbath. The problem is with religion. And so here's three things from Mark's gospel that we learn that religion does. The first is this, that religion makes you bold. Starting in verse 23, one Sabbath. There's the big idea. That's our word, the Sabbath. It's a holy day. It's a holiday. It's a day of... Rest. He, being Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees womp, womp, were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Here's what's, here's what's going on. That Jesus with his disciples, and they're, they're walking, and they're journeying, and they're traveling, and they're going through, they're going through a, a grain field. And then one of them gets a little bit hungry. And they decide, well, I'm going to make me a snack. And they pluck a head of grain, and then they, they eat it. I think this is um, Simon Peter, because Simon Peter, if you just read it, he's always getting in trouble saying and doing things that he should not be doing. And so I think that Simon's walking through the grain field, and he just says, hey, I'm a little hungry, grabs a pluck of wheat, rolls in his hands, makes himself some organic granola and a snack. You think, well, is that a big problem? No, right? That's not a really big problem. However, the Pharisees were there. And the Pharisees were following Jesus, not because they were following Jesus, but they were actually following him. They were harassing him. They were stalking him. And that everywhere Jesus would go, the Pharisees, they would be right there behind him. And the Pharisees would be watching and waiting, not because they want to listen to, not because they want to learn from Jesus, but rather because they want to argue, they want to fight, they want to criticize, they want to accuse Jesus. And they, they see this moment that they're walking behind him and say, this is it, this is the moment, this is the chance, this is our opportunity, that we've seen Jesus, we've seen him slip up, we've seen him mess up, we've seen him, he sinned. And so now we're going to call him out on his sin in front of everybody, and they say, Jesus, you are breaking the law. Jesus, you have done something that is unlawful against our rules. Jesus, you have sinned. Now you think, did Jesus really sin? Is what Jesus is doing is, is a sin? What, what are they doing? Well, they're just eating. Is it a sin to eat? No. Actually, what they're doing is um, allowed in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, as they begin to travel through the grain field, there was a generosity provision that if somebody like a sojourner or a traveler or maybe somebody who was poor or an immigrant was coming through your land, that they were able to be able to pluck a head of grain and that they were to eat it for themselves. God says, as long as they don't you know, pull out like a John Deere tractor, rob you blind, take all of the grain for themselves, then there's a generosity provision for those who are poor. As they're journeying through your grain field, they can pluck a head of grain and they can eat it. And so what Jesus is doing here is actually, it's actually a part of the law. So he's obeying the law. So what is the big problem? Well, for the Pharisees, it's the Sabbath. 
it's, it's on the Sabbath. And there was some rules about what you're supposed to do on the Sabbath. And if you didn't prepare your food on the night before, well, it's the Sabbath. You can't prepare your food because now that is work. And they said, Jesus, you should have thought about being hungry yesterday and got you a little sack lunch and go walking through the grain field. But now that you're eating on the Sabbath, well, that is against the rules for you to be able to eat on the Sabbath. And you think, well, where does it say that in the Bible? It's actually not in there. It's, it's really not in the Bible. And the Pharisees are like, don't worry about the Bible. Like, we wrote this other book, this handy-dandy book called the Mashal. See, God said, take a Sabbath, but he didn't really tell you what that meant. So he just said, take a day off. And so we came up with some rules about what you can do on your day off. And so we have a book of 39 chapters with 39 laws and 39 rules about the rules and how you're able to take a Sabbath. And they say, Jesus, you're breaking our rules. There's actually four rules that Jesus and his disciples broke here. First is that they are reaping. Okay, So they plucked a head of grain, that's reaping, no reaping. Then they're threshing, they're rubbing it together in their hands. They're cooking because they prepared a meal. And then it says that they're actually traveling. And they said, you can't travel more than 1,999 steps away from your home. And they say, Jesus, we got you. Right? You've traveled, you've threshed, you've reaped, you have cooked. You're wrong, you've broken the rules. And now, as I was reading this, I just thought this was very interesting. Where is Jesus here in the story? He's in the middle of a wheat field, okay? Now just think about this. Where are the Pharisees at? In the middle of the wheat field. Right? They're like, Jesus, what are you doing in the middle of the wheat field? And he's like, what are you doing in the wheat field, you hypocrite? Like, you're 1,999 steps away from your house. I don't see your house around here, right? And that's exactly what religion will do. Religion will make you bold. That you will walk right up to someone that you don't even know and accuse them of things that you don't even know what you're talking about. And that's what these religious people do. They go right up to Jesus. And religion will cause you to see the problems perceived in other people's lives and you'll become blind to the problems in your own life. See, religious people, they're bold and they go right up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, that you are wrong. Jesus, you are breaking our rules. Jesus, you are not doing what we said we should do, that you're not living as we live. You're not fitting in with our systems and regulations and rituals. And they say, Jesus, you're wrong. And Jesus says, I'm not going to follow your rules, right? Because they're not in the Bible, right? And I should know because I kind of wrote the book. See, that's what religion does. Religion tends to go beyond the Bible. Okay, If you're new here, if you're a guest, or maybe you just need to be reminded, at Redemption Church, we love the Bible. Okay, We love, we teach, we preach the Bible. We're right now spending the better part of two years walking through the Gospel of Mark because we believe in the Scriptures. We, we teach the Bible. We gather in homes around the city and we study the Bible. We believe the Bible, that it's the final rule and authority in the life of the believer, that it's inerrant, infallible, inspired by God. We believe in the Bible and we also believe that the Bible is sufficient, which means it doesn't need your help. That you don't have to go beyond the Bible to be able to tell people what they need to do in their life because the Bible is enough. And we love the Bible so much that we're not going to let you come up with additional rules and regulations to impose on other people just like the Pharisees did. See, Jesus understands that the Bible is enough and that when the God wrote the book, he knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was doing. And the religious people, they come up with a list of 39 additional rules and regulations that they're trying to enforce on other people. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. 
In fact, I'm going to continue to live my life the way that God has sent me here on mission to be able to live my life. And that's the way that Jesus is doing. That's the way that Jesus is living. Because for what he understands is this, that religion, it makes you bold. See, some of you, you're young Christians. You need to understand this. You're, you're new to faith. You're a little bit mature in your faith. And you're going to meet some people who are very bold because you don't know what this word says. That you're kind of coming and you're studying and you're getting involved in a community group and you're wanting to grow and understand, but you don't really, you don't really know very much of the word. And this is why it's so important for you to study and to read your Bible. Right? Because inevitably in your life, you're going to come across people who are going to be very bold. They're going to be very serious when they come to their faith. And they're going, to, they're going to have big college words and make themselves sound real smart. They're going to be serious. They're going to be confident. They can quote a verse. They can quote a dead guy. And they're going to look at you and they're going to tell you that you're wrong. And they're going to say, you have to do things our way. That if you want to be holy, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be loved by God or accepted by God, then these are the things that you need to do. And they're going to come to you and they're going to tell you lots of things. And if you're not confident in this word and you don't know what this word says, you're going to start to listen to what other people say. And because they're bold, you can start to think, maybe they're right, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And because they're very serious, you can think, well, they seem to know what they're talking about. Maybe they're smart. Maybe I don't really understand. And then you can start to feel insecure about your faith. Why? Because they are bold. Now, let me tell you this. You can be bold, and you can be wrong. Okay, did you know that? Oftentimes, the people who are the most bold tend to be the most wrong. You can be bold, and you can be wrong. That's what the Pharisees are. They're bold and they're wrong, and they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you're breaking our rules. And if Jesus didn't know the Bible, well, then maybe he might have thought that maybe they were right. But luckily for us, Jesus, he knows the book. So number two tells us that this, religion makes you unbiblical. Verse 25, and he said to them, have you never read what David did? So what he's doing here is he's going to quote the Bible. He says, you want to talk about it? Let's talk about the Bible. Here's from 1 Samuel. When he was in need and hungry... He and those who were with him, how they entered into the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus says, okay, right, you want to talk about the Bible, let's go ahead and do that. Let's have a little Bible study. Do you remember in 1 Samuel, whenever um, King Saul, remember that guy? I'm like, yeah, I remember King Saul. He was the king that, you know, you guys begged God to give you, and God's like, this is not a very good idea, but you pitched such a hissy fit. He's like, all right, fine, I'll go ahead and give you a king, but it's not going to end very well. Remember that? They're like, yeah. Okay, and do you remember how Saul did well for a little bit, but then he went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and started trying to kill everybody? Yeah, especially David, who was the true and the future king of Israel. Do you remember this? They're like, yes. Like, okay. And then David and his men, they were running for their lives, and they had been gone for days without food, nourishment, substance. They hadn't had anything to eat. They're traveling, journeying. They're starving. They're hungry. And, and where did they go? Where did they turn to? Well, they went to the temple. And as they go to the temple, they met with the priest, and they said to the priest, is there anything you can give us to eat? And the priest says, all we have here in the temple is the bread of the presence. That's the holy bread, the show bread that was baked on the Sabbath and was to sit in the holiest holies in the temple and it was to represent the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel and it was to be right there. And the priest says, well, all we have is the show bread. It's this, this bread of the presence. Now, here's the question. Whenever David ate of the bread of the presence on the Sabbath, was he sinning? No. 
Whenever the priest gave him the bread of the presence on the Sabbath, was he sinning? No. And that's the point. Jesus says, for the Pharisees, you're all about the rules. But the problem is, your rules are unbiblical. And so you're going to have to make a decision. Do you keep following the rules? What do you do? Do you keep following the rules or do you start following the Bible? Because the truth is, you cannot follow both. You're going to have to make a decision. See, the Pharisees, they came up with a list of 39 rules in addition to the Bible, and they go up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you are being disobedient. And Jesus says to them, no, you're being unbiblical. See, anytime someone comes up to you and they accuse you of a sin, right? you need to be able to understand what the Bible is. If they say you're in sin, what you need to do is go back to the Scriptures. You need to stop and you need to ask, is this in the Bible? And if it is, then guess what? You're in sin. If it's a sin in the Bible, well then, you need to repent of that sin. You need to be humble and need to change your life. But if it's not in the Bible, feel free to tell them, hey, that's not in there. You're being religious and you're being very unbiblical. Have anyone ever witnessed this before where people come up with additional things and try to enforce them so that way you can live life and be just like them and no longer like Jesus? This is a big problem in the church. I've met many people who, who struggle and hurt, who have been rejected, despised, still unwelcomed and unworthy from the church, all because of religious people trying to enforce their own rules and regulations. So what I want to do is I want to share with you just some stories from people that I know, friends and other pastors and some people in our church, stories about how religion has almost ruined their relationship with Jesus. Okay, One person writes this, I was not allowed to be dedicated in the church as a baby um, because my mother had me out of wedlock. Shortly after, she left the church because people began to gossip and talk bad about me, even though I was still a child. Ryan says, no shorts in the sanctuary because God doesn't want to see your knees. You're like, "Uh, I think God sees everything, right? He's already seen my knees. Catherine says, I wasn't allowed to eat Lucky Charms because they were magically delicious. See, religion will make you magically ridiculous. Courtney says, I was not allowed to watch Captain Planet because of the liberal agenda involved in caring for our environment. I don't think that's how it works. Um, Chris says, I was denied church membership because I was a new Christian and still smoked cigarettes. The board met and decided that I was in fact uh, a member of the family of God, but I did not meet their requirements to be a member of their church. Apparently it's easier to be in God's family than it is in the church family. One person says, I was, told that my, I was told that my wife was going to hell because she didn't speak in tongues. We never went back to that church again. Welcome to redemption. Renee says, I was told as a little kid never to look in the mirror and say, I look good today because that's what Satan said before he got kicked out of heaven. Wow. Robert says, I was told by my grandparents that It was against God's law for me to date or marry anyone who wasn't white. So can't hang out with Jesus, I guess. Um, Because we can't mix yokes or some crap like that. I was told that God was going to punish me, but instead of punishing me, God has blessed me with an amazing wife and two biracial little boys. And the last one, just for fun. Uh, This is from my buddy Doug. I had been a Christian for two weeks, and someone told the youth pastor that I was going to hell because I played the electric guitar. Today, I am a church planter, and we have an electric guitar center stage every single week just to prove him wrong. See, religion makes you bold. You will walk up to people you don't even know and say things that you don't even know that you're talking about. Religion makes you bold, and it makes you unbiblical, that you go beyond the Bible and enforce your rules on other people, 
and that's just burdensome to them, which leads to number three, religion makes you arrogant. Here's, here's what he says, verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is even Lord on the Sabbath. Jesus here is referring to himself as the son of man. Okay, this is a messianic title taken from Daniel chapter 7. And he's referring back to this, and this is another way in which Jesus is declaring himself to be God. Some of you have said that Jesus never claimed to be God. Okay, that's not true. Jesus emphatically, publicly, overwhelmingly, undoubtedly declared himself to be God, and this is one of the instances in which Jesus does it. He says, hey, do you remember the prophecy of the Messiah? Like the one who is coming, the Holy One, the Chosen One, the Promised One of God who's going to ransom you, who's going to rescue you, redeem you, deliver you, the, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah. Do you remember that? Okay, yeah, that is me. That's the one that, that, that they promised was coming, and now here I am, and now you want to argue with me. They say, no, Jesus, we disagree with you. We don't believe you. And Jesus is basically saying here to disagree with me is to be arrogant. See, it's very arrogant for you to disagree with God, right? I mean, because God, God is eternal. You're what, 30? Okay, God is, God is big, you're small, God is holy, God is mighty, God is glorious, God is strong, and you can't even bench 45 pounds. Who are you going to wave your finger at to God? That's exactly what you do. You're disagreeing with God. You're very arrogant because you're basically telling God that He's not godly enough for you. That you're pointing your finger to God and then you're telling Him who He's supposed to be and what He's supposed to say and what He's supposed to do. And so they're arguing with Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, we don't believe in you. Jesus, we disagree with you. Jesus, you are wrong. It's very arrogant on their behalf. And before we just get all bent out of shape about the religious people, we also need to understand that everybody does this. It's not just the religious people, it's everybody. Because there's really two forms of religion. That there's the hard religion that wants to make the rules, but then there's also the soft religion that wants to break the rules. That there are religious people and then there are rebellious people. Some of you, you're religious. Some of you, you're rebellious. Some of you want to tell God what he really means and some of you don't even want to listen to what God says. You're like, the Bible? No, thank you. I I don't really believe that. You know, sex outside of marriage, that's okay. Two consenting adults, who needs pants? Some of you, you you think, "Well, well, this is my life. I can do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. It's really not that big of a deal. Get wasted, get drunk, party, do drugs, YOLO, baby. This is my only life. And so you do you. I'm going to do me. Hell doesn't exist. That everybody gets to go to heaven because we're all good people. And that at the end, as long as you're happy, then you just live your best life. Now, we don't need the Bible. No, because we have Twitter and Twitter is our moral compass. This is 2018. You need to get with the programs. Listen, that religion and rebellion are both arrogant in the sight of God. That we don't need to just be religious and we don't need to be rebellious. We need to be repentant. That our life is to be submitted under the lordship of Jesus. And it's not to be rebellious. It's not to be religious, but rather it is to be repentance. And the the Pharisees and the false Pharisees of today, they are arrogant in the sight of God. That they're standing in front of Jesus and they're telling him, Jesus, we don't believe in you. Jesus, you are wrong. Jesus, we disagree with you. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That the whole point of the Sabbath, the whole goal of the Sabbath was to point you to me. And I'm standing right in front of you and now you want to argue with me about the gift that I gave to you. 
That is the epitome of arrogance. And Jesus is basically like, hey, do you know the heavens and the earth? I made that. Do you know the the birds and the animals and the plants and the trees and the forest? Do you know those things? I made those as well. Do you know the mountains and the beach that you like to go to on your day off? Well, guess what? I made the beach and I made the day off and I made you. And that's all designed to point you to me. And now you want to argue with me about the gift that I gave to you? That's arrogance. And that's what religion will do. It causes you to be arrogant, that you, you miss the point. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you're like, you're totally not understanding, you're missing the point entirely? That they seem so confident, they seem so certain, they seem so sure about what it is that they're talking about, and then, right over their head, totally miss the point. That's exactly what religion does. That religion, it just misses the point. Jesus is saying, The whole point of the Sabbath was to point you to me. And you become so obsessed with keeping the Sabbath, you've missed out on what it's actually meant for. Because you just, you missed the point. That you took what was a good thing and you turned it into a bad thing and your religion has ruined everything. Because religion, it misses the point. So what I want to do is I want to share with you um, how everything in the Bible is to point to Jesus. Because this is what's Old Covenant, New Covenant theology. And it's very important, and this is what the Pharisees seem to miss. That everything in the Bible, it, 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 points, it, it points to Jesus. And so I want to drill down right here in verse 27 and 28, and I want to show you what, what the Sabbath and what, what the purpose was of the Old Testament. Here's what he says. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord on the Sabbath. What he's saying here is that The Sabbath is good. The Sabbath is a gift. Take a break. Take a minute. Take a moment. Take a day off. Right? Get some rest. That's my gift to you. And then religious people, they come along and they totally miss the point. So what I want to do is I want to walk you through the Old Testament and show you how everything in the Old Testament is designed to point you to Jesus. Okay? In the Old Testament, they started off um, that there was a thing called the temple. Now, if you wanted to meet with the Lord then you would have to go to the temple. If you wanted to be in the presence of the Lord, then you would have to go and you would need to go to the temple. And in the temple, there was a priest and there were sacrifices. And that's where you would go if you wanted to meet with the Lord. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus becomes our temple. That his body is the temple. And he says that, you know, this temple will be destroyed three days. It will be resurrected. It will be rebuilt because Jesus becomes our temple. And he is the fullness in which the glory of God dwells. And so the temple was designed to point people to Jesus. Also in the Old Testament, there was sacrifices. So if you wanted to be forgiven of your sins, then you would have to go to the temple and you would need to see a priest and they would make a sacrifice on your behalf for your sins to be forgiven. And when you made a sacrifice, it had to be the perfect spotless lamb without without blemish or without wrinkle. It needed to pass all of the requirements in order for it to be accepted. And so you would go to the temple with the priest and then they would slaughter the lamb and through the shedding of the blood right your sins they would be atoned and they would be forgiven well today jesus has become our sacrifice that the point of the sacrifice was to point you to jesus so now we don't have to go to the temple and we don't have to see the priest now we don't have to make the sacrifice because jesus has become our sacrifice that jesus is the perfect lamb of god 
that he is without sin, that he is without spot, he is without wrinkle, he is without blemish, and that Jesus lived the life that we never could live, that Jesus, he lived the life without sin, and as he substitutes himself in our place, he sacrifices himself for our sins, we receive his righteousness because of his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice. See, the point of the sacrifice was to point people to Jesus. Do you see how this is working? In the Old Testament, they would have to go see a priest. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to meet with someone so that you could talk to God, you would go and you would see this priest. And the priest served as the mediator between God and man. That the priest was the holiest person in all the land. And if you wanted to you know, meet with God, if you wanted to be forgiven of your sins, that you would have to go and you would have to see this priest. If you needed to be healed, you need to go see the priest. If you had a prayer request, you would have to go see the priest. If you needed to be cleansed, then you would have to go and see the priest. And the priest served as a mediator between God and man. Well, Jesus comes along and he is our high priest. That the Apostle Paul says, because of Jesus, there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. The author of the book of Hebrews, an entire book of the Bible dedicated to pointing to how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant, that he says that Jesus is our great high priest who can sympathize with us in our weakness, and that he lived his life in every single way, just like you and I, but he did so without sin. And so if you need forgiveness, then you don't have to go see a priest, you can just go see Jesus. If you need healing, if you need grace, if you need mercy, if you need forgiveness, then you can just go and see Jesus. You don't have to go see a priest anymore because now you can just go see Jesus. You don't have to go see a holy man or a religious leader or even a pastor because now you can just go straight to Jesus. The whole point of the priest was to point you to Jesus because now Jesus is our great high priest. No matter who you are, where you're at, what you've come from, you can go to Jesus because he is our priest. In addition, lastly, in the Old Testament, there was what is called a Sabbath. That the people were to Sabbath. You work for six days, and on the seventh day you would rest. God said, this is what I want my people to do. I'm giving the law to Moses. It's in the great Ten Commandments that I want my people to, to rest. And so they would take this Sabbath and they would rest. And this is God's way of saying, even when you're not working, I'm still at work. That you can stop your laboring, you can stop your struggling, you can cease your working and your striving, and you can start working with me. That even when you're not at work, I am still at work, and so you can trust me. And then the Pharisees, they come along, and they take a good thing and they make it a bad thing, and they add rules and regulations, and religion ruins everything. And by the time that Jesus comes along, there's, there's a burden that they've placed on other people. And Jesus says... The whole point of the Sabbath is to point you to me. That I am the Lord even on the Sabbath. That the whole goal, the whole point, the whole reason, the whole purpose is to point you to me. That I have come and then Jesus becomes our Sabbath rest. Jesus says, stop working because I have finished all of the work. Stop striving, stop struggling, stop your laboring, stop your toiling, stop your efforts, stop your good intentions because I have fulfilled all of the obligations and then Jesus becomes our Sabbath rest. And so today we find our rest not in what we do, but what Christ has done. That we don't work to earn our salvation, we work because we have received salvation through Jesus Christ. And now, because of Jesus becoming our Sabbath, there's no longer just a holy day, there's a holy people. That we become a holy people set apart to live for Him, and He doesn't just give us rest for the minute, for the moment, for the day, but He gives us rest for our souls. And that Jesus becomes our Sabbath 
rest. See, everything in the Bible points to Jesus. This book is amazing. This book is written by some 40 different authors over 3,000 years in three countries, on three continents, and three different languages, and it all says exactly the same thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And see, we, we love the Bible, we believe the Bible, and we teach the beauty and the authority and the, the sufficiency of the Scriptures, and we love the Bible so much that we don't want you to use it to beat other people up. That you don't have to go beyond the Bible because the Bible is enough. And we love this book so much that if you're here and you're religious and you have your own rules, please just understand this. We're going to teach this book. There's a lot of things in this book that we don't understand. And before we get to your rules, we need to understand what's in this book. So feel free to put your rules away because you're not helping people. You're actually hurting people. And see, religion ruins everything. But Jesus, he comes along and he redeems it. So everything's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's always only all because of Jesus that we are saved. That we no longer have to work to earn it, but instead, because he's given it to us, we're able to rest in it. And so what I want to do is I want to shift gears as we kind of wrap this up. And I want to just talk to you about something very practical. Okay, over the course of this series, it's the simple gospel, but we've talked about a lot of very um, very heavy things. We've talked a lot of theology. We've talked a lot of doctrine. We've talked, um, we, we've talked about you know, Old Testament, New Testament. We've talked about a lot of things. But I want to talk to you now about one of the most, um, one of the most difficult things that you're ever going to do in your life. Okay? I want to talk to you about how to take a Sabbath. Okay? And just so you know, this is me being a professional hypocrite because I don't Sabbath very well. Okay? So I need this sermon and I'm going to invite you to listen unto a sermon that I preached for myself. Okay, so you get a two-for-one sermon today. So let's do this. Okay, we're going to talk about how to take a Sabbath. Okay, I am not good at the Sabbath. In fact, um, I almost got fired as your pastor. Okay, um, about six months before we launched the church, uh, I met with my pastor, and he, he pulled me aside, and he said, well, hey, how are you doing? Are you taking your Sabbath? I was like, well, no. He's like, obviously you're not taking your Sabbath, right, because you're freaked out. You're like, yeah, I know. He's like, well, here's the deal. If you don't learn to take a Sabbath, and if you don't take your wife out this weekend, I'm going to fire you. So like, what are you talking about? You can't do it. I was like, no, I'm going to fire you, right? Because you're not fit to be a pastor of this church. That if you don't learn to rest, then you're going to destroy your marriage, you're going to destroy your health, and you're going to destroy this church. And I would rather protect the church from you before it ever gets started. So if you don't learn to take a Sabbath, then I'm going to fire you. I'm going to pull your credentials and I'm going to shut it down. Okay. From that day forward, I learned how to trust the Lord of the Sabbath by actually taking a Sabbath. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you from personal experience okay, five ways to ruin a Sabbath and then five ways to redeem it. Okay, The first way that you can ruin a Sabbath is this. Don't plan for it. All right? Not making a plan, just so you know that's still a plan. It's just a bad plan. It's a plan to fail. Not having a plan is a plan. It's just a dumb plan. And if you don't plan for your Sabbath, guess what? You're never going to take one. You need to put it in the calendar. You need to mark the day off. The Bible says that it's to be holy. That means it's to be set apart. There's a whole day that you're like, on this day, this is my Sabbath day. And then you're able to build your calendar around those days. Right? And if you don't plan to take a Sabbath, people will take your Sabbath for you. That people... 
people will crowd you out. They'll consume you. They'll make requests and demands on you. And if you don't learn to plan it out, you're never going to be able to take it because everybody else is going to take it for you. Right? And so you need to make a plan for your Sabbath. And not having a plan is a plan. It's just a bad plan. Right? The second way is this, poor work ethic. Right? Some of us, the reason, why we, the reason why we work on our days off is because we don't actually do our job during the week. Let's just be honest. We spend so much time just piddling around that we don't actually get the things done that we need to be done. And so when the Sabbath day comes for us, our actual day of work, right, we didn't do anything all week, and so now we have to work on our day off. Right? That's just the honest truth. That many of us, we just have a poor work ethic, and if you spend a little bit more time getting done the things that you need to get done, you could actually have time to take a break. And if you spend a little bit more time working on the clock, you wouldn't have to spend so much time working off the clock. Many of us, we don't Sabbath. You're like, I don't have enough time. It's because you wasted all of your time. Right? It's a poor work ethic. The other one is this, technology. Okay, you can ask my wife on this. Right? Technology is the best way to ruin your Sabbath. I know this because I've ruined many of our Sabbaths. That I have worked on vacation. I've read systematic theologies on a beach. Right? I've spent my holidays, holy days, birthdays, so connected to the internet, on the laptop, checking my emails, social media, Facebook, that I missed out on what was happening in my family, right? And I spent so much time just looking at other people's Sabbaths through the, you know, through Facebook and Instagram that I was no longer able to actually enjoy my own because I was too busy staring at everybody else's, right? See, listen, guys, technology is a wonderful gift, but it's a terrible God. See, technology is a wonderful gift, but it makes for a terrible God. And so here's what I've discovered. With my wife's help, if you turn your phone off, your, your phone's going to give you a Sabbath. Okay? If you give your phone a Sabbath, your phone will give you a Sabbath. There's this little hidden button they put on here, right here on the side. If you hold it down long enough, eventually the phone will turn off, and then nobody can bother you. It's amazing how that works. Steve Jobs hides it because he doesn't want you to use it, but it's on there, trust me. Technology is a great gift, but it makes for a terrible God. And so you need to start figuring out ways that you can Sabbath without the use of your technology. The other way that we can ruin a Sabbath is an overstimulated lifestyle. Okay, You wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm so tired. I can't go, can't do this. So what do you do? You get up, you make a pot of coffee, and then you drink one cup, two cups, three cups, and then you're like freaking out. And so you, you drink a pre-workout, and then you go to the gym, and then you lift weights, and you come home, and then you're like, oh, I'm even more showered, and then you skip breakfast, and then you go to work, and then you eat like garbage, and you have a snack, and then a snack for the snack, and then a snack on the snack, and then you drink a five-hour energy shot, and at the end of the day, you're driving home, and you swing by the store, you pick up a Red Bull or a Monster, you go to Starbucks, and you get a Mocha Choca Espresso Double Latte, and you're like, hey, what do you got back there? You got some cocaine, some crack, some methamphetamines, Adderall, please put something in there, I'm going to die, and then you come home, and then your eyeballs are falling out of your head, and you lay down, and you can't sleep, so you drink, and you pop an ambient or a sleeping pill and you stay up till three o'clock in the morning watching Grey's Anatomy. Anybody else? And then you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh my God, I'm so tired. And you have to do it all over again. And that's what we call being an American, right? We live an overstimulated, Sabbath violating lifestyle. And then we say, look at me, I'm an American. No, we well, are ruining your Sabbath. Another way is just an anxious heart. Okay, some of you, when your Sabbath day comes along, you're unable to actually enjoy it because you're worried about everything else. 
that you think, I, I, there's so many things that I've got to get done. And if I don't do this, then it's not going to happen. And if I, you know, what happens if this goes wrong? And what happens if this goes wrong? And I need to do that. And somebody needs to get this done. And I can't really actually Sabbath because you're so busy worrying. That you're stressed, you're depressed, you're anxious, and you're worrying instead of worshiping. See, the Sabbath is for you to actually spend time in worship. That it's a day devoted to the Lord for worship. But many of us, we're so busy worrying that we don't actually have time to worship. It's because we have this anxious heart. See, the Sabbath is God's way of saying, even when you're sleeping, I'm still sovereign. So go home. Take a nap. Take a break. Take a rest. Get a minute. Get a moment. Sleep in. It's going to be okay. Because when you don't have this, I have this. See, the Sabbath is God's way of teaching you that even when you're sleeping, that I'm still sovereign. And so we can actually learn to trust Him. Anybody feeling convicted right about now? Is it just me? Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, because we just go about our life where it's like, here's all the things that I need to do. And Jesus is like, okay, I get it. But you can trust me. Because I've already done the work. So rest in me. Trust in me. I'm giving you this gift. You just need to receive it. See, the Sabbath, it really is a great gift. And so I've already shared with you from personal experience five ways to ruin a Sabbath. Let me give you some things that I've learned in ways that you can redeem it. Okay? One way that you can redeem a Sabbath is this. Keep the great commandment. Okay? In the Bible, there's 613 laws. And you're like, that's a lot of laws. It is. It really is. And you're like, I can't keep all of those. I know. That's the point. That you're not able to do it. But they come along and they ask Jesus, what is the great commandment? He says two things. Love God, love people. If you can do those two things, then you're going to be able to keep the Sabbath. See, one of the ways you can just keep the Sabbath is by practicing the great commandment of love God. Right? The Sabbath is a holy day set apart, devoted for worship and prayer and to read the Bible and to connect with the Lord. That you can practice your spiritual disciplines. You can be filled by the presence of God. That you can spend your Sabbath loving God, but you also need to spend it loving people. Okay? That, that you surround yourself with other people. That you spend time with your family. Fathers, get down on your hands and knees and play with your children. Take your wife on a date. You know, ladies, spend time as a family eating dinner, spending time together with your neighbors. Bring your community group over. Have a barbecue. Spend some time with one another. You need to love God and you also need to love people. And through loving God, loving people, you keep the great commandment. You'll also be able to keep the Sabbath. Another way is for you to be generous. Okay, I meet people all the time who are very selfish when it comes to their Sabbath. They're like, this is my day. No, it's, it's his day. Right? He's the Lord of the Sabbath, not you. Right? So it's not about you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. He gave it to you. So stop being selfish and start being generous to the gift that God gave you. See, some people, they get so selfish about their Sabbath. But instead, we need to actually start to be generous with it because it really is a gift. See, that's what started this whole problem in the first place. The Pharisees were very selfish when it came to the Sabbath, whenever Jesus was obeying a generosity provision. And so we need to be generous. There's a lot of people in our church that are serving today on their Sabbath. That this is their day off and they're spending it by being generous with their time and serving other people. Right? We have about 50 people every single week who make redemption possible. Right? From greeting at the door, from pouring coffee in the back, to playing in the band, to hanging out with the kiddos upstairs. These are people who are being generous with their day off, their time, their energy, their talents, using their gifting so that way you can worship the Lord. So please do not be selfish with your Sabbath. 
Don't take advantage of them being generous of you. Instead, we need to be humble. We need to be grateful. We need to be generous when it comes to our Sabbath. Another way that you can redeem your Sabbath is this. Do something different. Okay, one of the ways you know that you're not actually enjoying the Sabbath is when every day looks exactly the same. See, Jesus says that, that it is to be holy and it is to be separate. That word holy means that it is to be different. It is to be other. And if all your days start looking exactly the same, then you're not really enjoying your Sabbath. So one thing that you need to learn is how to do something different. Okay, this was so freeing for me when I understood this. Okay, so if you Sabbath with your hands, how many of you work with your hands? Construction workers, manual laborers, right? You, you work with your hands primarily, or maybe you're on your feet all day long. Maybe you work at a school or you're a nurse, and so you're on your feet or you're working with your hands all day. Okay, if you work with your hands, you need to learn how to Sabbath with your mind. Because when you come home and you start doing chores and fixing the fence and mowing the yard and picking up around the house, and you start working with your hands, when you work all week with your hands, guess what? It's not going to be very relaxing for you. So if you work with your hands, you need to learn how to Sabbath with your mind. Start to read a book. Right? Watch a TV show that you've never seen before. Go to the beach. Go... Go, go see something, go explore, you know, do something relaxing, something to stimulate your mind. So if you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. But those of you who are like me and you work with your mind, you need to learn how to Sabbath with your hands. See, my life is just meetings and vision casting and books, and I'm in college and I'm writing papers and writing blogs and preaching and sermons and prayer. Like my whole life is just working with my mind. And then I come home and I'm like, it's my Sabbath day. And then I pick up a book by a dead guy and I try to read it and I start formulating sermons even on my day off. Right? It's not very relaxing for me. And so if you have a job where you work with your mind, you need to learn how to Sabbath with your hands. So that means, you know, learn an instrument. Right? Spend some time woodworking. Chop something down. Saw something in two. Right? Underwater basket weave. Whatever you need to do. Find some way that you can start to Sabbath with your hands. So if you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. If you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. But the big idea is for you to do something different. Because when all of your days look exactly the same, you're not enjoying that Sabbath. Number four, a change of place equals a change of pace. Okay, Mark Batterson talks about this. That a change of place equals a change of pace. Sometimes you have to get away. Sometimes you just have to, to leave. Right? You have to go somewhere else so that way you can start to feel something else. Because if you just Sabbath at your home all the time, right, you're going to be totally distracted. That you're going to see the laundry, and you're going to see the yard, and you know the kids are going to be running around crazy, and people are going to stop by, and the boss is going to be calling, and the phone's going to be ringing, and the bills are going to be piling up, and there's always you know Netflix and the TV, and then there's video games, and then there's your phone, and then all of a sudden, all of these things they just become they become distractions for your Sabbath day. And what you need to do is you just need to get away. And so, you know, change of place equals a change of pace, right? Go out of town, right? Go camping, go hiking, go to the beach, go to the mountains. Well, we don't have mountains, but, you know, go somewhere, do something with the people that you love, right? I'm probably going to get in trouble as your pastor for saying this, and you'll probably never hear another pastor say this again, but it's okay for you to miss church. Did you know that? Don't feel guilty about missing church, Okay, don't make it a habit, but don't feel guilty. Like if you go out of town and, and you're on vacation, don't be like, oh, I can't tell my serve team because no, you can put it in your planning center and request a day off and then we're going to be happy and celebrate with you. Right? Don't feel guilty about missing church. Just don't make it a habit. But a change of place equals a change of pace. And that's actually a good thing. You know, Research has shown that people who take vacations actually make more money. 
So God knew what he was talking about. So why don't you all go take a vacation because we're moving into a new building and we're going to need that raise. Number five is this. Just making sure you all are still with me. Number five is this. Um, Rest in Jesus' work. See, the whole point of the Sabbath is to point you to Jesus. It's a whole day where you're dedicated to ceasing the work for your salvation and start receiving the works that Jesus has done. That Jesus goes to the cross in our place and he says, it is finished. That means that all of the work is done. It's a whole day devoted to teaching you and to showing you about the finished work of Jesus in the same way that salvation is a gift from God about Jesus. The Sabbath is a gift from God about Jesus and religion ruins everything, but Jesus redeems everything. Jesus is saying, stop your striving, stop your struggling, you're laboring, you're toiling and start trusting in me that it's always only all about Jesus and Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And so he tells you, even when you're sleeping, I'm still sovereign. So go home, get a rest, take a nap. You know, we're going to need you rested up, healthy, happy and whole because he always has more work for us to do. Amen. And so we got more work to do, which means you need to be rested up. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, which means you should probably go home and take one. Let's pray. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 930 or 1115 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.